0: Welcome to Right Now Workshop Podcast, where you can write a book and change the world. I'm your host, Kitty Buholtz, and this is episode 244, Writing the POV of the Opposite Sex, an interview with Dr. Deborah Holland coming to you on Thursday, April 29th, 2021. I still have to look down sometime to remember what year it is, 2021, and we're more than a quarter of a way into it. Whoa. (laughs) Anyway, Welcome back, we're on season two of 2021. Yay, very exciting. Um, I'm particularly exciting because if you're watching on YouTube, you might be thinking, Kitty's hair looks different. I finally got a haircut this week. So happy, pandemic hair. Yeah, thank goodness everybody had it, has it, has it on and off, Uh, but I got to have a haircut. So now I feel like a a newer person, a fresher person. I hope that you have been able to do some uh, new, fresh, nice, fun things in the last few weeks that we've been apart. Um, it's either uh, finally into spring where you are or finally into autumn, depending on where you live. And also depending on where you live, spring might have felt like it was you know, six weeks ago if you're in California or Arizona or something like that. But I'm very happy because we are finally having spring like weather and flowers are coming up and trees are budding and the cherry trees have these big beautiful red, um, sorry pink blossoms on them. Oh my gosh, it's been so nice outside so I actually got to go uh, on a walk with two different friends. Uh, Of course, I was I was bundled up really super cold, you know, drinking hot chocolate with one of them. But she's like, do you you think we should stop, you know, like leave each other so that we can go inside? I'm like, no, I really like being outside in the sun, even though I'm really cold. it's still really nice. (laughs) So that's weather in Sweden. But anyway, one of the other very exciting things is, is that I'm coming up with a new freebie short story for my Kitty Boo Holtz author list. So I don't know if you have um, got a freebie on your newsletter list, or if you are um, switching it out occasionally to um, do something fresh, something new, but I decided to do something fresh and new. And I had this wonderful brainstorming session with my friend Stephanie yesterday, and ah. Uh, Life just seems really good. I hope life is seeming very good to you. So in the new season of Right Now Workshop podcast, we have got all sorts of interesting things coming up. Interviews with authors, as always, uh, interviews with authors talking about specific things that they know a lot about, like today. And also uh, very, very soon we will be hearing from Dave Chesson from Kindlepreneur about his new software as a service program, Atticus. sounds awesome. I cannot wait. Every day I check my email, like kind of wondering, will I hear whether or not Atticus is out and available yet. (laughs) So I will uh, let you know when that is by posting the interview. (laughs) I hope that everything else is going for you and your writing is going well. Remember that if you want to learn more about working with me uh, in general, this is uh, not difficult to do specifically, I'm still having problems with my website. So, uh, I'm working on getting right now, workshop.com, uh, in general, totally revamped, uh, so that when you go to forward slash writing coach, you can get all the information that you need. But in the meantime, you can just reach out to me, uh, like with a Twitter direct message or a Facebook direct message, or you can email me kitty at kittybuholtz.com and, um, ask me about the things that you can do to work with me to either, um, Start or finish your book, whether it's fiction or nonfiction, uh, in a group co- coaching program or a one on one program. Or if you would like to work with me to take your completed edited novel or a completed edited nonfiction book and get it published uh, on Amazon yourself and on other uh, websites as well as you like. Uh, whatever it is, wherever you want to put your book for sale, I can help you get it up there. And um, I find it totally super fun. I I love doing all the tech work. I love teaching people things, explaining things, and uh, I record everything so that you have videos that um, you can refer back to when you have questions while you're doing it uh, by yourself the first time or the second time. Um, And of course, the whole point in working with me is that you don't have to do it by yourself the first time. So- uh, be sure to um, get a hold of me if you want to know more about that. I'm also starting a new program that's specifically aimed at entrepreneurs and small business owners to write a short book that you can then use uh, as a lead magnet and/or put up on Amazon and/or other sites for sale, so that people can look. At you as being an authority in your field. So if you or someone you know is wanting to do that and write the book and get it published within a six-month window, I'm starting a group program uh, helping people do that in May. So reach out and I will give you more information. In the meantime, um, we are going to have James Hannibal talking about spy thrillers, writing spy thrillers next week. He has got, uh, lots of books that fit that genre and, um, and Kind of sub genres around that. Also, he just has some personal experience that's always fun to talk to James about. Um, there, there's a lot of things where he's like, Yeah, I can't tell you that. So I'm like, Oh, this is fun. I like talking to somebody who says, Yeah, I know the answer to that question, but I can't tell you what it is. <laughs> so that's a fun interview. But today we get to hear from one of my favorite people, Dr. Deborah Holland. And she is giving us an updated version of a class I took with her a long time ago called Understanding Men, um, but now we're kind of uh, widening it, understanding the opposite sex or um, someone who is in some way, you know, different from you, and so you have to figure out how would I write this person so that they seem. Really believable to the reader. Um, It's a fun conversation. Dr. Deborah is um, just really, really good at what she does. She's both a writer and uh, a counselor, so she's a therapist. And so she's got tons of experience and lots of information. So without further ado, we will listen to Dr. Deborah's interview. Today's guest is Deborah Holland. Deborah is the New York Times and USA Today best-selling author of the award-winning Montana Sky series, Sweet Historical Western Romance, and The God's Dream Trilogy, a fantasy romance. Deborah is the three-time Romance Writers of America Golden Heart finalist and one-time winner. In 2013, Amazon selected Starry Montana Sky as one of the top 50 greatest love stories. When she's not writing, Dr. Deborah works as a psychotherapist and corporate crisis and grief counselor. She's the author of *The Essential Guide to Grief and Grieving*, a book about helping people cope with all kinds of loss and cultivating an attitude about gratitude. A ten-minute ebook. She's also a contributing author to *The Naked Truth About Self-Publishing*. Welcome, Deborah.
1: Well, it's good to be here. I'm good to see you. It's and nice.
0: Yeah, <laughs> we are almost as far away as we've been from each other since uh, we probably talked at one point when I was in Australia and you were in Cal- California.
1: Mm-hmm. Yes, uh, the beautiful sea view.
0: Yeah. <laughs> <above> the water. <laughs> oh, it's good to see you again. And you were on the show, gosh, two years ago, I think. Yep.
1: Something like that. I don't know. Time goes... That's been really weird the last few years, so who
0: knows? <laughs> yeah, yeah, definitely. Especially this last year, it's hard for me to um, to keep in mind how long it's been. I just had my one-year friend anniversary <laughs> with some people that I met at uh, a, the last writer's conference that I went to, which was um, like three days before the world went on lockdown. So... <laughs> Uh-huh. We were like, wow! How, how can it have been so long and so short? So anyway, great uh-huh. to have you on the show. And I actually had this idea to talk to you about something that is way old, a long time ago, when when Yahoo Groups was the way to deliver an online course. Yeah. You you had a great uh, class called Understanding Men. Do you remember?
1: I- Yes, I remember.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Back when you had to type replies to every single email when all your students replied in. (laughs) I, I honestly thought that that was one of the best classes and I still have it in my mind a lot of times. And honestly, it's really more in my married life that I think about it because my husband will be looking at, you know, the jar of salsa going, are we out of salsa? And I'm like, it's okay. He doesn't see it. Deborah said
1: he's he's looking for it, not at
0: it. (laughs) Right. Right. (laughs) He's not looking quite at it. (laughs) It seems like he's looking right at it, but, but you had the most interesting things to say about, and of course the class was really about, um, because you and I were members of, uh, Romance Writers of America when it was, predominantly women. I suppose it still is, but there's a lot more men there now. And mm-hmm. so it, the class was kind of about how female romance writers can write better um, male point of view chapters. Yes. Yeah.
1: Well, it's called understanding men.
0: And so I thought, you know what, let's, let's talk about that. Let's kind of recover some of that because it's a topic I haven't talked about on the podcast, but Mm -hmm. it's something that, um, you know, I hear people bring up every once in a while, like this character is just not, this is a woman's view of what she wishes a man was like, maybe (laughs) it doesn't seem like a man anyone knows. Yeah,
1: romance is the female fantasy, which is, so that means we can create the kind of men that we we want whatever that personal author's choices and um, you know a lot of times we have very like very alpha we call them alpha very strong dominant men and it's not really a man you'd want in real life <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> he'd be sort of controlling you know it's like it comes across in the books as oh, he's very very protective because he's so in love But in real life, it would be very, very uncomfortable to live with and (laughs) you you wouldn't want that. So, but the idea in romance is that the heroine's love can soften or change a man. And in real life, that doesn't really happen. It can happen occasionally, but it's not a good idea to enter into a relationship and thinking you can change somebody because yeah. you will probably be very unhappy about that.
0: Yeah. I, um, can't believe it. My 31st wedding anniversary is coming up in two months. <laughs> oh it's crazy. Um, and I have to say, John and I have, I- I'm decking. So I just noticed I'm unplugged. Oh, okay.
1: <laughs> no, no. <laughs> I'll run out of juice and halfway through you,
0: I'll disappear. Yeah, no, no, don't go. Okay. <laughs> but it's interesting because um, in some ways we've changed a lot and in, and in a lot of ways it's because of each other, but if we had thought well i like all these things about you except for this one thing but i'm sure i can change that like i'm sure that would have been a total recipe for disaster so so mm-hmm. it's interesting how you end up having lots of changes but the idea that you you can't just assume that you can make this thing that you don't like go away right
1: right and that you don't you don't know the challenges life's going to bring to you and and how that will change you for for better or for worse like for example when john had his accident and was really out of out of you know being able yeah. to work and you were the caretaker and you know that must have considerably
0: yeah. changed the two of you. Yeah, absolutely. And um also just the whole idea that, you know, I just go away on my little writer's retreat and then I get a phone call and I'm thinking as I'm driving for a couple of hours back. Wow. Like he could be dead and he's not dead. And I just have to focus on how incredibly grateful I am that he's not dead. And wow, yesterday, this wasn't even on my radar. Like I would, I would be thinking about retirement, you know, and death when we're 80, I suppose we should come up with a will and some idea of what we want to do to be buried and stuff, but there's plenty of time for that. Oh, mm-hmm. or not. <laughs> mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. oh
1: which is really a good reason why as soon as you get married, you should have a will. Yes. There's <laughs> an order. And if you have kids, you definitely need to have a guardian chosen. Right, but right. Then, I, you know, I do a lot of crisis and grief work. And so I've had seen too many people die before their, what we would consider their time.
0: Right. Yeah. Yeah. Um, you know, that's another thing I should have on the, on the show is a little bit of that kind of estate planning sort of thing.
1: <laughs> um, well, I'm not a lawyer. I just, have seen it there's been one situation where uh the man had died suddenly and he had not updated his his work his papers at work so his ex-wife not the current wife Uh got his his insurance and you know that the money that they gave for burial and all that kind of stuff went to the ex
0: oh no wow yeah, those are not things that I—I I don't know if I would think about. <laughs> mm-hmm. yeah. oh. Well, listen, let's um, let's backpedal just a little bit. Um, People who know you may not know uh, a a ton about you, and then there's going to be people who haven't met you yet. So why don't you give us the brief history of um, how you got involved in writing both fiction and nonfiction, kind of bring us up to where you're at today, and then also kind of tie in how it's the writing world plus your um, work as a therapist that kind of led you to feel like you had this great class to teach. And then we'll kind of get back into it again. (laughs) Well,
1: with having a master's degree and a PhD and then, you know, taking the state licensures and I'd always wanted to write from the time I was little, I wanted to write my grandmother's stories. But by the time I finally got through all that school process and then recovered for a couple of years, going, don't bring anything near me that I have to like write. Yeah, <laughs> um, She'd forgotten a lot. So I, did, I took what notes I could and started writing some short stories and started actually learning about writing fiction, which was different than all the nonfiction. I'd been writing you know, like a dissertation and up to that point. And then I, then I started dating. I met someone on New Year's and I live in Orange County, California and I met a young cowboy and we don't have cowboys <laughs> in California, at least not where I live. So that was sort of interesting and unique and we had a lot of fun but we had nothing in common. And so at some point I started thinking who he is and who I am just might've worked, you know, like a hundred or so years ago in the West. And that's where the first idea for my story, Wild Montana Sky came. Uh-huh. And so, you know, my young cowboy sort of went off following the racetrack racing season and we lost touch. Although he found me on Facebook a few years ago and I'm like, let me send you. Give me your address, and let me send you something. <laughs> I'll send him the book. How so, fun! Yeah, he has. You know, I, neither of us had any idea that he would totally change my life. Yeah. <laughs> so that's oh. how I started writing fiction. Um, wrote that book. Wrote the next one, which is "Starry Montana Sky," and um, Wild won the Romance Writers of America Golden Heart which I got an agent from that and the agent tried to shop the book around. And I'd also by that time written uh, the first of my fantasy series, which is Sower of Dreams. And that was a finalist in the Golden Heart and the agent tried to sell that and neither one of them sold because both of them weren't to what was the popular market at the time. And my books are what's called sweet, meaning they're not sexy and the market for romance turned sexy. And at the time it was also not, you know, historical, especially Western historical, was, was not popular. So I was just not hitting the right boxes yeah. uh, to sell to New York. So that was, you know, and then I got another editor who did the same thing. So I, I had two rounds of rejections, and you know, this big stack of rejection letters. They were also, you know, good books, but you know, don't quite fit for us. So, you know, I sort of got discouraged and I put them aside and focused on nonfiction and started writing some nonfiction books. And then I got the contract for the essential Gu- guide to grief and grieving. And while I was writing that, I call it my, my book from hell. I had, to, I had a uh, five month deadline to write and, and this was not a book I had previously written. This was one that I got for, on contract and then had to write. So I had to do the research and write the book to their way of writing, not my own right, way of writing. Right. So it was a very, very difficult process. And, you know, like I'd be writing the, the first chapter I was writing was the death of a child. And it was so painful because every parent I, I interviewed didn't matter how long ago their child had died or the age of the child, you know, baby to, you know, adult. And every parent cried. And so, hmm. I said that chapter off and I got the feedback from, came back from the committee that said, um, you don't have the right tone. We want a lighter tone. Oh, I had the biggest meltdown because I'm like, I'm writing about the death of a child. How could, how could, I can't do this. And it was, and this is where, as a writer, having networking groups really makes a difference because it was um, one of the people I really didn't know that well but she was on one of my uh, networking groups as a writer. And she said, they want you to give them hope. And I was like, that reframing of it totally was like that I can do. So off with that book and in the middle of this, I started getting one of my friends who was in another group of you know, friends had wrote us and said, I am, I've been selling my books self-publishing. So the first time she did that, which was in uh, 2000, it was probably 2000, in the middle of 2009, I didn't pay any attention to it because I'm like (laughs) self-publishing. And then the second time was when I was in the middle of writing this grief book. And she said, I'm making $3,000 a month on my self-published books. And all of us in the group, because we were sort of all the same, we'd all written books. They were all Golden Heart finalists. They weren't selling. And we all went, yes. And I'm like, except I'm going, I can't, I'm in the middle of this grief book from hell. So they published and I didn't, but I was, as soon as I finished my grief book, I started and I was following in their footsteps, which was good because I'm, sort of technolog- I'm sort of technologically challenged. And so they just said, do this, do this, do this, do this. And I followed and I put the book, the first Wild and star- Starry up for, for sale. Not expecting anything, yeah. because I'd had all these years of rejections, and the books took off, and they started to sell. <laughs> and a year later, while guy the book that nobody wanted, was a USA Today best-selling book. Wow! And I had a publisher for those books, and I also self-published other books in the series, and somewhere along the line became a New York Times bestseller and changed.
0: Everything changed. Yeah. And it's such a great story. I mean, I I love listening to you and um, all the people who wrote, I'm pointing over my shoulder because the naked truth about self publishing is right there. And then I've got three of your autographed uh, Montana skies books right there. (laughs) All over the world. How nice of you. (laughs) I know, right? There's just travelers now. (laughs) (laughs) Um, but I love hearing the story of all of you guys who, who put together the naked truth about self-publishing because while the stories are the same, they're also all totally different. And Mm -hmm. it's just very, um, encouraging as well as, uh, being helpful and, Mm -hmm. you know, truly useful. So. Yeah.
1: Well, at the time when we wrote that, we, we kept getting so many people asking us, you know, what have we done? How did we do it? Uh, and there wasn't a lot of you know, information there is now there's tons and tons and tons of information and resources and things like that. So we really were focused on helping other authors. And that's why we wrote that book. And, you know, it's been free as an ebook for several years. So the material is sort of dated. The stories aren't, but some of the material is. So just keep that in mind when you, if you pick it up and read it.
0: Yeah. Yeah. So, so here you are, um, went from, um, the traditional publishing route um, wasn't really working out cause you were just writing the wrong book at the wrong time. Uh, so mm-hmm. if you had been, you know, 10 years before or 10 years later, probably would have been great. Um, no, it wasn't cause it was one of those things like,
1: thank you for, you know, thank you God for not giving me what I wanted. Thank you for saying no.
0: <laughs> yes, yes, exactly. Because it's really turned out so well for you. Right. And the whole idea that, uh, sorry, Montana Sky Amazon selected it as one of the top 50 great, greatest love stories. Oh, I did not know that part. That is just amazing. Now, so love story, we're talking about, um, you know, one of the, well, okay, this is me. Uh, one of the pinnacles of storytelling is to be able to tell, I think, a great love story where people are just like, that's so amazing. But to do that, you need to be able to tell two different people's perspective. And so now we're kind of, you know, um, coming back around to the idea of writing from the point of view of and when I was taking the class, I was taking it as a woman thinking to myself, okay, how am I going to write the male point of view scenes, which are often every other scene or, or so, you know, uh, in a romance novel. Um, but you had been doing this sort of writing successfully and, and now you're teaching some other writers, like some tips and stuff on how to write better male point of view scenes In, in this case, because it was, Predominantly, you know, women writing the books. So um, maybe we can just like start with a few tips that are kind of evergreen tips on on writing the other point of view.
1: Well, it's not even writing the other point of view. It's really understanding some of the differences. And so I'm going to sort of make the disclaimer as we talk that that um, this, this this research I haven't done any research for the last you know three or four years, maybe more than that um, since I put the class together. So we're, we're talking very specifically here, you know, male gender, or female gender. And so take what works for you and discard the rest. Um, please don't take anything personally. Cause I'm not addressing this anywhere personally and I'm not meaning to exclude anybody. I'm just right. saying there's probably research out there that I don't know that I could have included to make this more inclusive. Uh, I just can't do that without actually having the research at my f- fingertips and that knowledge so that I could give you the right information. So just sort of think of us as, as going back in time and just being very traditional, but not meaning to exclude anybody.
0: Perfect. Love it.
1: So just a few things about the brain that a lot of people don't understand is that the mostly men and women have different brains in that The corpus callosum, which is the separating tissue between the two brain hemispheres, is thinner in men and thicker in women. And so it's easier for women to go back and forth between their two brain hemispheres, whereas it's harder for men to cross the hemisphere into the other brain. So, and then the other thing that women have is we have speech and brain, speech and emotion centers on both sides of our brain. Whereas men, male, the male speech and emotion center is they each have one on each side. So a man would have to cross hemispheres in order to be able to talk about his emotions.
0: Oh, so wow. that's
1: why men literally have a harder time talking about emotions. And then you add all the cultural conditioning about what it means to be masculine and you know, strong and not share that emotion. And that makes it even more difficult. So a lot of times it's not that a guy is, you know, trying to shut you out from emotions. It's just, he's, he doesn't necessarily have that ability to talk and feel. Whereas women, we can feel and talk and that's how we process. Right. And that's what's really important for us. And so if we're upset about something, we want to talk about it and that helps us feel better. And men all the time get in trouble because they don't understand that. And one of the things I do as helping when I'm counseling couples, one of the first things I start to do is help them understand that there's differences and understand and and teach them how to communicate in ways that are going to help. So if I can get their communication changed, then whatever the issue, that's like 50% of the problem and then whatever the actual issue is we can talk about in a way that helps helps fix it heal it make it better and because we don't have the communication problems getting in the way and so one of the first and easiest ones is for me to say to the man when she's upset she's not coming to you for a fix she's not coming for you to you for you to fix it whereas for guys You know, a lot of times if a guy is upset and comes to you, that means he's thought about it and he still hasn't quite figured it out for himself. So he goes to somebody else, a buddy or a mentor, you know, a family member to talk about it and looking for that fix. So guys assume that if you're coming to him and talking about something that's upsetting you, that you're wanting a fix. So, with all good intentions, he is trying to help and he gets in trouble and he doesn't understand why. (laughs) And then things go, whatever the original problem was, things have now exploded because she's mad at him because he wasn't understanding and he's upset with her because he's trying to help and she's, you know, getting mad at him and now he's getting punished for trying to help. And there goes the communication down the tubes. So, you know, teaching a man to say, all right, hang on to the fix because maybe it can be useful later. But for right now, what she really needs is for you to understand her. And that's, you know, going back to writing romance, that's really what makes the hero that it doesn't matter all the other stuff that's going on, is that the hero at some point in the story will understand her in a way that nobody else has. And so that's the greatest gift a man can give is, is that understanding. Cause if he can't understand her and let her know she's understood, it's going to be hard for her to feel loved. Yeah. So, you know, so, so a man listens. So I see it saying, okay, you know, listen. And, you know, I might even say, I'll I didn't plan this beforehand. So I'm just going to reach for the nearest scrap of paper that I have. (laughs) And um, I'll say I'll literally do the same things, <laughs> I have a piece of paper that I normally so I'll just fish out for a newspaper right next to my chair. And I'll say, okay, so here she is, she's upset and she's talking and she's gonna go, talk, 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 pause. And I say, okay, that isn't a period, that is a comma, which might be backwards as I write this.
0: No, it's coming out okay on the, on the video, <laughs> okay. yeah. <laughs> okay,
1: so this is not where you start talking and giving her the fix. You know, this is where you just sort of nod and you say, Oh, or you make, you know, John Gray, from, who wrote Women from Mars, Women are from Venus, calls them your, your vowel sounds. Oh, ooh, hmm. You know, this sort of <laughs> nice, kind sort of sympathetic listening sound. And then she'll go, uh, she'll keep going then. Talk, 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 talk. I hope this is going, yeah. Pause again. The pause is not meant to be a period. <laughs> it's meant to be a comma. And he goes, uh, what else? So he asks her a question. A question that's not designed to close her up, which is what the fix is. Oh, just quit that job. You're upset with your boss? Quit the job. You know, yeah. um, It'll be okay. Don't worry about it. You know, those things that he's trying to stop that emotion and fix her. You know, which actually can feel sort of demeaning and you know pejorative even sometimes. Again, he's not intentioning. So Mm -hmm. he asks a question to open her up. He asks a question to get her to keep talking. (laughs) The very thing he doesn't want. Right. (laughs) Again, talk, 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 talk. Pause, and then and it's like, well, how did you feel about that? Another question. And so she'll get keep going. So I say there's about five levels. That's what I say, give or take. You know, and at this point he can say, well, is there anything else? And she'll say yes or no. And if she needs another level, she, she will. And she'll say, no, you know, and then she can say, well, do you need advice? And she can say yes or no. Cause it, and if she said yes, then you can. that's when you can bring the fix in. And then that's the one I tell women at that point. You need to let him know that his listening fixed you.
0: Yes.
1: (laughs) That you're now not so upset. You're feeling better, and he has turned into your hero. (laughs) Because he listened to you complain about work and your boss and what you're upset about. And he was there for you and he was supportive and exactly the way you needed it. And now he has given that to you. And so you need to now give to him. The knowledge that this not for him normal way of 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 normally processing things has worked and he has made you feel better and that's when you let him know and you say you know thank you so much that really helped i i, I feel so loved you know and you're my hero yeah I feel better and then she's <laughs> like yes i did it yeah. yeah so you know something like that which it's just sort of basic you know, and, and I do it the exact same way I just did it here, you know, with a piece of whatever scrap of paper happened. And then I hand it to him, I said, take it yeah. home. <laughs> <laughs> you yourself, um, yeah. you know, that this is how you're working on communicating. But I also mm-hmm. say to women that as you start to talk and he starts to fix that, you gently remind him that you just need him to listen and understand. You don't jump on him for his trying to help in the way that doesn't feel helpful. Yeah. So it's, it's, it's sort of understanding both ways and it's communicating to both people how they need. And it's letting him know that you appreciate him. Because the other thing about men a lot of times is the gas tank of their car runs on appreciation. And so men, when they don't feel appreciated, they actually stop doing things. And so, you a lot of things that they did for you, they might, if you criticize them or you stopped appreciating them, they'll stop doing. And then that makes you upset because he doesn't feel like he cares about you or loves you. And it's just that he needs appreciation in a way that women usually don't. So, mm-hmm. let's say he's taking out the trash and you're like, thing saying, instead of coming in, he comes back in and you're like, oh, honey, thanks for taking out the trash. You're like, about time you took out the trash i took out the trash for the last seven times yeah you know and he's like why should i bother
0: right right
1: yeah, yeah why, why should i bother so it's just a matter of you might think that you might think for the last seven times i took out the trash but you go deep breath thank you honey i appreciate <laughs> that I have to crash out of the kitchen And the thing is that a lot of times we will already have thought something positive. It just doesn't occur to us to actually open our mouth and say it. And I noticed this once, and it was many, many years ago. And my boyfriend at the time, he was over and I walked into the bedroom and unbeknownst to me, he had made the bed. And so I walked in the room and in my head went, oh, how nice, he made the bed and kept on going to whatever I was going to go do, pick, you know. And then I caught myself and I stopped and I turned around and I walked out to the living room and I said, honey, you made the bed. What a nice surprise to walk into the room and see that. Thank you. So guess who made the bed a lot more after that.
0: (laughs) And it's so funny because, you know, everybody's got their own, um, their own way that they've developed to communicate, uh, that works great or not so great, or a little bit of both um, over time, you know, it, it just keeps on developing. And um, I, I don't know if it was from your class or from something else, or just life experience, but I'd gotten into this habit of thanking John for everything that I was like, so glad that he did. And then he would get to the point where he's like, you don't have to thank me for everything. Every time I said, thank you. And, he, and then he would to, um, he would say, thank you back. And I'm like, thank you for what? He's like, you said, thank you. So I'm saying, thank you. I'm like, Okay, now you're making me crazy. And then I'm thinking, nope, just go with it because (laughs) whatever it is that we're doing here, like he still is, I'm sure, unconsciously glad that I appreciate things that he does. (laughs) And I'm going to continue to thank him even though I'm not sure we might actually be annoying each other at this point. (laughs) So
1: so what I would have said to you if, if you'd come to me with that conversation at the time, I would have said, stop saying thank you. However, don't stop appreciating, expressing appreciation. Just be more creative. You're a writer, Kitty. You can do it. Oh, be more creative. Going back to my example, I didn't have to come out and say, thank you for making the bed. I just said exactly what I had thought when I walked in and was like, oh, what a nice surprise. It Mm -hmm. It was a really nice surprise to walk in and see the bed was made. It just perked me up.
0: Yeah, yeah. Yeah, and so there's yeah. no thank you in there, but it's implicit. Right, right. Oh, see, I'm learning something new again. I love it. <laughs> All right, so um, so thinking about our characters, I'm thinking that um, whether you want to have more of an a alpha male or a beta male, um, wherever he's at in his journey with how well he thinks that he knows women, you could still have two people that um don't necessarily like get in big fights they're not enemies um and they can still have conflicts just in the way that they choose to communicate with each other then
1: mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. yeah all right or part of what might be unique about them to make them special enough to want to fall in love with them is that you don't have some of these conflicts or the traditional conflicts that you've always gotten in to with somebody else other people people who don't understand you, especially, you know, if you have something that you're either feeling quirk, that's sort of like a quirky characteristic, or maybe it's a wound or something that you're insecure about. And so in, in novels, the thing that you're insecure about is your partner or your the love interest is going to see who you really are. And they're not going to see the scars, the external scars, or or they'll accept the in, in, internal scars and, and be supportive. Yeah. So, it's that kind of thing too. It's like, how can I craft the story and how can I craft the, the hero and heroine's journey so that they can be clashing, but also coming together in a way that's, that's gonna be healthy and special.
0: Right, right, because um, in the end, they're falling in love because each of them feels seen by the other person in a way that they feel like the world in general doesn't see the real them. If, if people knew me on the, the deepest levels of myself.
1: Well, seen, seen and accepted. And it's especially important right now. And I think that's one of the reasons that romance novels are very healing. A new reason as opposed to the other list I can give you is you know our world right now is very fractured. And people are very, very quick to jump on a single incident or you know, something that you've said, and that becomes who you are. And so if you sit down, you know, we all say things wrong. You know, I, I, I did it myself just a couple weeks ago. My cousin and uh, her, her family were over and we were doing an outside picnic spread out appropriately, whatever. And I, with good intentions, wanted to say something that was delicate. And if I'd thought it through before, I would have not said it or found a different way to do it. And I just sort of blurted something out and really hurt her feelings. And, you know, and it was, I'm like, oh my God, you think I I still don't do it perfectly. You know, as much as I am an expert on communication, I still make mistakes. And so what we want is that, When we make mistakes we want other people to try to understand that what our and to really learn about what our intentions were and and there's a lot of people going around right now saying intentions don't matter and i'm saying that's so not true intentions do matter and finding out the intentions and then working with somebody to craft different ways to communicate those intentions is what's really can be really important but if you just jump on somebody and attack them you're going to back them up and, and make them defensive. They're not going to hear really in a, what you have to say. They're just going to perceive themselves as being attacked, which sometimes digs people in. You're going to dig in in their position as opposed to being open to hearing you and hearing your hurt and hearing how something was hurtful that you did or said, and hearing how you can do it, you can help you can apologize in a way that's meaningful and also make amends in a way that's meaningful and also not do it that way in the future yeah
0: Yeah. it's interesting um the the things that you can learn you know just from the own your own relationships and I, i found this um you know as writers we're usually looking or subconsciously looking at um the different kinds of people and how they're acting and what they're saying and and in my mind, there's there's always a lot of work going on, even when I'm, you know, supposedly not working. <laughs> and okay. another thing about the female
1: brain, we can multitask and think about things and and you know, a lot of times we'll be with a guy and he's quiet and we might go, What's he thinking? You know, you know, is he thinking this or this or this? And we're doing all this, you know, busy, busy, busy thinking. And the truth is he's not thinking anything. And, you know, and if you try to like pin him down, he's not gonna be able to say it or I'll say the wrong thing. Or you're going, how can you not be thinking this? Because I'm thinking this and it's right there in front of us. And how can you, they're not thinking it's the brain. It's not anything he's doing purposefully.
0: Yeah. And I have to say, sometimes I think, oh, that sounds so quiet and peaceful. Yeah, but it might be I don't know. You have to ask a good guy, right? <laughs> uh, so John and I don't really um, get in the kinds of uh, arguments where there's a lot of raised voices and that sort of thing. But every once in a while, it's just the, the wrong time to have an argument. There's a little bit of yelling. Uh, it lasts for like less than a minute, probably, because neither one of us like that kind of conflict. Um, <clears throat> and whatever it was that I was pressing and pressing and pressing him about, um, he fi- he was just so frustrated that. That I couldn't understand what he was trying to say, and finally he just kind of yelled at, yelled out um, something to the effect of, "Well, excuse me for caring about whether or not you're hurting. I don't want to see you hurt." And then I was like, "Oh, I wish that in the beginning it would be fine." <laughs> exactly, and I and I use that in my superhero book where the where the. Yeah, it's, it's, it's not verbatim, but that definitely was the inspiration for him being like, I'm yelling because I don't know how to get through to you that I care about you. I don't want to see you hurt. And I'm like, okay, those are, those are kind of great hero characteristics for me. Like that hits one of my buttons. (laughs)
1: Right. And you know, that's, that's actually a communication tip. And now we're doing male female differences, but a communication tip is to start out a difficult conversation with those kind of things to say i love you i want us to be able to do whatever it is smoothly happily whatever i want us to be close you know and i want to talk about something that's that sensitive and it's not my intention to be attacking or anything it's my intention to you know heal this fix this, make it better improve this make us closer you know fix the problem whatever it is but you stated it up front so the other person goes okay i'm not going to be attacked You know, it's, I'm, the intentions are, here are my intentions. Yeah. So, and pardon me, it might be, you know, bear with me if I'm not always very clear or if I say it wrong, because my intentions are good. And so the other person is primed to go, all right, you know, and so if you say something and they're like, they can go, they can go, okay, okay. (laughs) He wasn't trying to hurt me. He just... (laughs) Stumble. Whatever came from the brain to the mouth, there was a stumble in there.
0: Yeah. (laughs) Oh, this is really good stuff. Now, um, award-winning romance author that you are, (laughs) do you have a couple of tips as far as, um, you know, every book is different, but in general, like some good places to um, put this kind of conflict or this kind of resolution in a romance novel?
1: Well, I think that taking some things from your own life, if you've, and most of us have had those moments, and putting it into your book, like you just said, with your superhero, you know, that, and whether it's conflict or whether it's something that's romantic, that, you know, remembering that and and putting that in, that I think lends a lot of authenticity and heart to the story. So part of it is paying attention to what goes on in your own relationships or listening to your girlfriends or your your male friends even, you know, coming in and what are they doing that? And, and you don't want to really make your hero or heroine unlovable. So maybe it's their friend that they're with who's saying, all, all guys, you know, all guys are scum. And this, I literally had this conversation with the boyfriend, my boyfriend a couple days ago. He was saying that, that he was in this group and they started discussing things and um i don't remember what the pejorative term was but it was like so the implicate it was all men are this and and so a lot of times he's had those kind of conversations with his friend he's a lot younger than me so his he's in a totally different generational cohort he's also grown up he's mixed race grown up south central l.a Totally different kind of friend group that I have or just be you know around him. So they'll say things like, if he's dating somebody who's it, oh almond or scum, and he's he's like, you know, he goes he goes you know if he's he goes, oh you're the exception, or I'm just waiting for you to like f up so you can show me you can prove to me my my belief so you might not have the heroine going around saying, all men are scum. Yeah. But she's her friend, she's with a friend who is, which might mean that the hero is assuming that she believes the same thing, especially if she doesn't say anything.
0: Oh, right.
1: Or, you know, she's sort of uncomfortable about the situation. So you can, you know, but if she's going around, then you better back that up with some wounds that, it, it's not just like oh she's just like oh he, this is just the way they got they are but there's some really deep wounds like maybe she was sexually abused as a child you know by her father at, or you know another ma- male and you know the father left or wasn't there and then you know this happened with the early you know, so there was really reasons that she's been surrounded like by so many men who wounded her to the point so that she's like I can't trust men. And so he's going to be the one who is saying, improving his trust, but he's not just using words. He's gonna use words and he's gonna use actions to show that he's trustworthy. Yeah. But if he slips up, her wound's gonna open up and there's gonna be some conflict too. So it's one of those things of you needing to craft whatever the wound is and whatever the erroneous thinking that comes from her wound. So if she had those really horrible encounters with men early on as a child and adolescent, the the thinking that comes from those wounds, the error thinking that comes from those wounds is all men are scum. And so therefore, part of her healing journey has to be being able to see that that's not true that there's going to be good men and, and not good men and there's going to be middle men who sometimes make mistakes yeah and so and he is going to be instrumental in showing that he is trustworthy and that's not just him then if he's trustworthy that's going to mean other men are trustworthy too
0: nice i like it Oh, this is good stuff. You're um you're reminding me of some of the conflict in um I'm rereading a Tessa Dare book. Um, you and I are both friends with her, and I I just adore her books. Oh, I, she have. just. Yeah, she just has a way of um, anybody who can make me laugh when I'm reading, I'm I'm on, I'm I'm there, okay. <laughs> and um, I'm rereading this one partially because um, I read on my Kindle, so I don't keep John awake, but I read to fall asleep, and I'm like, well, it's okay to reread a book and fall asleep, then that's that's all right, and uh, some of the things that are happening with this one couple, you know, he's seen things in her that other people have always said is a bad trait. Her mom's like, this is a bad trait. Her sister says it's a bad trait. Her best friend's sister says it's a bad trait. And he's like, no, it's an intriguing trait. I kind of like it about you. And it's like, she, you know, she's like, well, somebody likes this trait about me. This is never happened before. And I love the way it kind of opens up the idea that now she's kind of listening more to what he says, paying more attention and trying to figure him out a little bit. And then he's trying to figure her out a little bit. And you kind of see it all kind of slowly coming together. And I just love that.
1: Well, it's also important, especially in historicals, because here we're trying to write historical female characters for the modern reader. right? And so it's really, really hard. And there's like this this fine line in terms of making her modern enough to like Go, oh she's not a doormat but <laughs> uh, and also so that she's got some spunks and some some quirkiness but in those days she very much might have not been understood and and so the the very qualities that make her appealing to a modern reader would not have made her appealing to her suitors <laughs> and her family and you know so she might have been really suppressed and told she's wrong and told she's bad and told she doesn't fit in and that would have been very very common back then and so Part of that is also crafting a heroine that straddles that line of, of ancient or historical to appealing to modern. And the man who's gonna also be unlike all the traditional men of that rea- reality, who's, instead of being appalled at this woman who's acting like this, who's going to have those more modern qualities of appreciating this part of her. And so that's going to be very, very appealing for both of them and draw them together.
0: Yeah. So I'm thinking also about where you're creating a brand new world, like say a space opera. And once you decide what the cultural expectations are for men and women there, then you could do the same sort of thing, right? You could build something into her that's just outside of what's kind of acceptable or um, appreciated. Uh, for her and then have somebody else who thinks that that's actually a really interesting quality, yeah?
1: Yeah, or maybe it's gonna be a quality. I just read or reread, I should say, one of Catherine Asaro's um, sh- shorter stories and she's a big space opera romance. You know, she, she straddles that line very well and she's a phenomenal storyteller. And so in this particular story, um, the mother of this, the character has, was a, a dancer, a ballerina dancer, very, very famous. And so, but she married somebody and went to his world and to brought her, her kids in a world that does only women dance, men don't dance. And then she had a son who inherited her abilities and love of dancing. And so, which she made sure he got nurtured, she would bring tutors in from off world. So that he could still, but he did it in secret in their castle, and so it was not known to the general population. But his best friend, and the, his later in life love interest, she, he kept this secret from her all these years. You know, because men—it was just not a masculine thing. Men did not dance, and so it was like just the idea of a man dancing was just so, you know, not masculine. And yeah. and it wasn't the main part of the story, but it was a thread. That was that was in there. Yeah. And that one of the things she does is, and plays with is let's let's overturn the stereotypical norms. What if it's the women who are in power? Or what if it's, you know, this this kind of alien kind of person ish thing that is in power. And and that's the fun thing about fantasy and, and science fiction that you can play with the stereotypes stereotypes. That you can have message, you don't write it to have this message necessarily, but You can have messages and themes that are speaking to to toward or against our own cultural norms or whatever you you want to see changing or preserve from the past and so science fiction especially gives you a chance to craft whatever and and that you can that you can take okay i want to play with this stereotype or i want to play with going against the stereotype and what can I do and how can I do it? What kind of characters and you know, who's in power and who's not, who's disadvantaged and you know, that kind of thing.
0: This is great, I love this. My brain is just turning on all the different stories, the ones I'm writing, the ones I've thought about writing. (laughs) Wonderful, this is gonna be so helpful to all the different kinds of stories that people are writing. I I have to be careful, Um, you know, even though this is my podcast, I don't want to only have white women romance writers (laughs) as guests, but I know so many of them. I I just have to be careful that we um, talk about things that um, can be helpful no matter what you're writing, um, you know, if it's fiction.
1: <laughs> well you know if you want to my my boyfriend as a as a guest he's he's more of a journalist but he is writing actually he's writing a romance in one of my in my mind task guy series as i have a publishing company and i have other authors who write my series so he is actually writing some of that so and he's gone with, with me to some meetings and but like i said he's mixed race um so he and he's albino so he has gotten racism from both sides yes. and he's, he's very interested we have lots of talks we've lots of podcasts we've taken some classes and and so he's that's one of his expert areas of expertise
0: sweet yes tell him i'm definitely going to want him on the show that sounds great i i think that it's always well for me i love learning and i also love um like just finding new ways to understand people better. And then when I'm writing, I'm like, I just want to share all the things that I've learned or the mistakes that I've made and how I, you know, managed them and stuff. And because I I like reading stories where, uh, people that I feel I can understand because of this or that or the other thing, whether they're um, you know, blue people from another planet or or somebody down the street or whatever, like somehow they they make me think, oh yeah, gosh, I, I have that problem too. How are you going to solve it? Oh my gosh, there's hope for me. I mean, this this character solved the problem. I I'm probably going to be able to solve my problems. I don't know. fiction makes me feel that way.
1: Yeah, and romance especially gives us hope. It gives us hope for romance. It reminds us of you know, if you've been in your own relationship forever, it reminds you of how it was in the beginning when it was romantic. And, and so it, it just, it's an uplifting and hopefully inspiring kind of journey. Yeah. You know, at, at points it's difficult. But I think that the idea of the culture clash and just having to come from such different places, whether it's male or female, or if it's two different alien cultures, you know, like, like Babylon 5, going back 25 years, you know, that we don't find out in the very beginning, we don't find out until, I don't know how many years of, of the series, but that, that the war that started, you know, between like Earth and Minbar was because one ship as their first meeting, one ship is coming in with their um, opening to their, the war kind of cannons, Let's for whatever what they were called, And one has them closed. And in one culture, uh, the open ports indicate peacefulness. And to the other one, the open ports indicated we're about to be fired on. And that's how the war starts, both having peaceful intentions.
0: Wow, I did not remember that. Wow. The, the, right. Okay. This is just great information. People need to be like, write down your ideas. People don't forget what you're thinking
1: right now. <laughs> um, for male and female or just anything, you know, yeah. life, like that's what I'm saying. Intentions matter. And that it was having to find out once all the anger and bitterness, you know, of making, crafting a piece, and there's all this anger, bitterness w- and wounds to find out, wait a minute, this all started, <laughs>
0: Because of a misunderstanding. Yeah. Oh, that's brilliant. Okay, Deborah, I know that you have a lot of uh, things to do, people to help today. Thank you so much for spending time with us. I know that you're helping me and the people listening to come up with better ideas to write better stories. And we certainly appreciate you. Now, um, hopefully, people are thinking wait, I want to know more about Deborah's stories. So, where can people find you and your books uh, online and wherever else uh, people are buying books right now? All my books are on
1: Amazon, and if you want to see more of them, they're at deboraholland.com. Um, my professional website, not my writer's website, but my counseling other re- website, I've just redone it. The one I have is really, really old. This week should go up. The new version should go up. So it's its just Dr. Deborah Holland. So D-R-D-E-B-R-A-H-O-L-L-A-N-D. So wait a couple days before you <laughs> check me out or if you do just know that it's just so it's just an old website but so it's either dr deborah holland or deborah holland
0: depending on which one you want yeah. mm-hmm. wonderful thank you so much for being on the show this has been great we really appreciate you
1: it's so fun it's it's fun to get in touch and i, I love talking about these things because i really want to spread the word to people whether you're a writer or not that there's just so many things that we could we we don't have to get into trouble in the first place if we know them and that there's ways to bring us together and you know healing if we if we start to do it differently and understand each other